Okay, Jesse, last week's case left some big open questions. What's the story this time around? A high-achieving astronaut becomes a media sensation when she makes a bizarre journey to attack her romantic rival. Oh yeah, guys, today we are talking about the famous or infamous astronaut love triangle, also known as the diaper astronaut story. I'm Andy Cassette. And I'm Jesse Prey. And this is Love Murder. Hi, Andy. Hi, Jesse. Welcome back, everyone, to Love Murder, a podcast about bathroom breaks, trouser snakes, and love gone fatally wrong. You can find Love Murder on Twitter and Instagram at Love Murder Pod and on Facebook by searching Love Murder Podcast. If you enjoy this show, pretty please, love slash murder, a five-star rating on your podcast app, subscribe and review to help new people discover the show. Also, if you're interested in supporting the show more directly, head on over to patreon.com slash lovemurderpod where you can learn all about the different tiers of support. And speaking of Patreon, Andy, we are super duper thrilled as always this week to welcome and shout out a new set of incredible patrons. Really can't thank you guys enough for joining us. Yeah. So a big old welcome to Megan R, Raina T, Alisa R, and Casey S, Danielle Z, and Courtney T. Alice P and Angel N. And of course, Cat Lover One. We had to give you that one. Yep. <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> meow. <laughs> meow, indeed. So if you are new to the show, I know we just got a bunch of new people coming in. So thank you so much for joining us. And Andy and I always record remotely because she lives in Los Angeles and I live in the Hudson Valley area of New York. But today we are together. Wow. We are together and I'm a little raspy today. Yes, Andy is now feeling the affliction so many parents of young children get the constant winter sickness. Yep, that's great. So bear with us. So today I actually had started writing this one as a Patreon bonus episode. And our main episode, which I'm pushing to next week. So you'll definitely still get the main episode I was planning for this week. It's such a downer, guys. Next week is pretty brutal. And I wanted something a little different for when we were together. Okay. I wanted us to be in relatively high spirits. And that's always a tall order in true crime, obviously. There's not a lot of lightness and brightness or hilarity, although we usually try to find a thread of something lighthearted. Lighthearted. And this is a case that I totally thought of when we started Love Murder. It was in my head, one of the cases from when I was younger that really stuck out with me. I think a couple, like it's in the realm of the Buttafucos and Amy Fisher and Lorena Bobbitt as these totally like WTF true crime stories. Okay. And I asked Andy before we started recording, because I was like, oh, you know this one. We're doing the astronaut love triangle, you know, the diaper story. And she's like, what? (laughs) What did you say? Excuse me? (laughs) Yeah. I don't think diaper and love story really go hand in hand. Not usually. But yeah, so I really wanted to dig into this one to figure out why somebody who worked so hard was so well-respected and had a family would jeopardize it all for love, 
madness, jealousy. And we're going to explore those themes today. I read the book Out There by Diane Fanning, which is kind of more of a history of women in aerospace than a traditional true crime book. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, we are not going to go deep into that history today because I'm focusing on the people involved in the crime. But you guys should definitely check out the book because it is extraordinary what women had to go through in general to get into space programs. And especially the woman we'll be talking about today. So it, it kind of serves to, again, hammer out that theme of like what you give away after working so hard. We're really going to talk about how she clawed her ways up the ranks, and it serves to highlight how far she eventually falls and how senseless this terrible attack was. And along the way, we'll talk about how this affected the victim, the lover, and even the space program in the United States. But for now, Andy, let's start by talking about a little girl named Lisa Caputo. Like a lot of little kids, Lisa Caputo wanted to be an astronaut. She was only six years old when she watched Neil Armstrong walk on the moon with the rest of the nation. And from that time on, she never even entertained a different career. Lisa was the eldest of three sisters in a close-knit Italian-American family who resided in Rockville, Maryland, a bedroom community of Washington, D.C. When Lisa was growing up, there had only ever been one woman in space, and she was Russian. Okay. The United States had absolutely no plans to train women to go into space. The U.S. Naval Academy, which is a frequent feeder to the NASA program, it's actually, I think, the military arm that ends up having the most people become astronauts. They did not even graduate a female cadet until 1980. Wow. Yeah. And that was very hard one as veteran and eventual Senator James Webb and others spoke out very strongly against women being allowed at all in military academies, going so far to say that they were ruining the institutions. Wow. Yeah. Let's give a, a hands up for chauvinism. Yeah, it was very, very, very tough for women. Nonetheless, Lisa ended up turning down Ivy League Brown University in favor of going to the Naval Academy. Wow, okay. So she reported to the Academy in July of 1981 to prepare for her first year as a cadet. And she got the ever-loving shit hazed out of her. Really? Yeah, but to be fair, they called them plebes the first year, and they did it to the men as well. It's a nickname for first years. Diane Fanning explained in her book that the goal of the hazing and very harsh boot camp-like atmosphere was to immediately weed out those who were not cut out morally, physically, or mentally to serve as officers in the Navy. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I guess if you went to, and I don't know if this is still true, potentially, but if you were accepted into the U.S. Naval Academy at the time that she went, they paid everything, room and board, all of their tuition expenses, and they wanted a return on that investment. So they were completely on board with all of the hazing and the rough treatment because they said it's not going to get any easier out there in the real world. And we want to make sure that you're prepared and you're mentally tough enough to go through some very difficult situations. And obviously, it was even more true for the female cadets. So they not only had to endure all sorts of like misogynistic slurs from classmates, but also there were some professors at the time that Lisa went here because they had just graduated their first class in May of 1980. And so she's starting in the summer of 1981. So they are just barely having graduated their first class. 
And she would later report that she would straight up go to classes and some of the professors would be like, well, I don't agree that you're here, but I have to teach you. (laughs) That's how bad it was. So obviously Lisa was very much a pioneer in this space. Diane Fanning noted that only 20 years later, the experience was significantly more integrated. So I'm sure nowadays, hopefully, it's a better experience for women at the U.S. Naval Academy. Yeah. Lisa had to fight like hell to get what she was due, but she felt it was worth it when she watched the first American woman, astrophysicist Sally Ride, go to space on the Challenger in June of 1983. Yeah, that had to be remarkable. Remarkable. It was so inspiring. It really showed her she was on the right track and gave her a path forward. In the fall of that year, another momentous thing happened in Lisa's life. She met a fellow aerospace engineering student named Rich Nowak. The two went from friends to lovers as they rose through the ranks together. The couple graduated from the academy in 1985, and they went on to flight training for Lisa and an engineering post for Rich. In January of 1986, the Challenger explosion devastated the entire nation. It was terrifying. So terrifying. So this horrible tragedy played out on TV screens and projectors in schools and homes throughout the United States. The disaster was made worse by the publicity of having the first teacher in space, Krista McAuliffe, on board. So if, if you guys aren't familiar with the Challenger explosion, we could do a whole episode just on that. But it was a highly televised and publicized event, and essentially the entire world watched it explode and these people die in real time. Yeah, it's horrifying. It was horrifying. In any case, you can imagine that the space program was extremely shaken by this. But Lisa still refused to give up her dreams. She said that she knew the danger that was inherent in space travel, and it did not deter her. And that these are, unfortunately, the sacrifices you have to make to learn. And she was willing to give her life. I mean, you have to be. Yeah, because that was her dream. Lisa and Rich were married in April of 1988 at the Naval Academy where they met, which is a fitting place for two officers. (laughs) The couple welcomed their first baby, Alexander, in February of 1992. Only one month later, Lisa earned her master's in aeronautic engineering, followed several months later with another master's in engineering degree in aeronautics and astronautics. Unreal. This blows my mind. How? How? We could barely produce this podcast. I know. I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. Motherhood was not slowing her down one little bit. In 1996, a huge step towards going to space was realized for Lisa. She was one of only 44 people across the United States to get accepted into the astronaut program. Whoa. In order to get in, Lisa had to undergo hours of psychological testing, have over 1,500 flight hours on her resume, and prove herself physically superior. During her first month, she had to swim 150 meters in water with a full flight suit and sneakers on, and then also tread water with that whole gear on for 10 minutes. Yeah, there's also a show I watched called Scandal Made Me Famous. Oh, God. Yep. It's season three, episode three. It's on Reels, which I guess I subscribe to on Prime. Okay. (laughs) Because they do have some true crime programming. They show some footage of some of the training that she went through, and it is rigorous. Uh, Yeah. It reminds reminds me of... The training montages from Armageddon. (laughs) 
they're training like all the drillers to be astronauts. I mean, it's probably where they got the research from. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, it looked really, really, really tough. Lisa also had to take a day-long ride in a plane that they called the Vomit Comet. Ew. So they basically over and over again do these insane nosedives that create weightlessness. Yeah. Like simulations. Simulations. Yeah. yeah. It just makes me sick just thinking of. I would have like noped so hard out of this. No. Also, like I wonder if it seems like her motivation didn't change at all after she had a kid either. No. Yeah. Not even a little bit. That's wild. Yeah. This was always her focus. And she was reportedly a good mom. Yeah. But... I think that family life still came second. Yeah. That was the way she had designed her life. And that's where her focus was. The family was living in Clear Lake, Texas at this point, which is a suburb of Houston known for the Johnson Space Center, which is, you may recall from Houston, we have a problem. But it's also famous for two very big true crime cases. The first of which happened while they were living in Clear Lake in 2001. Andrea Yates, oh, wife of a NASA engineer named Rusty Yates. Trigger warning, guys. Sorry. Child death. Just skip ahead. She drowned all five of their children, ages six months to seven years old, while experiencing postpartum depression and psychosis. Whoa. Oh, gosh. Talk about nauseating. I know. We were going to talk about that probably current case that's happening in Massachusetts with the mother who just killed her children at some point on current affairs. But Andy and I just couldn't do it this week. Yeah. It's tough to talk about, although I'm glad that there's more awareness being brought to. That's one good thing about it being in the news. And being publicized is helping other mothers in a similar situation find care because I think even when this happened in 2001, the narrative wasn't even that she was sick. It was just that she was an evil monster. Yes. And I'm glad we have a different perspective on things. The following year, and we have talked about this one, dentist Clara Harris ran over and killed her philandering husband in the parking lot of a Hilton in Nassau Bay, Texas. We did that for Cucktober. Yes, we did. I think you did that one, yep. didn't you? Yep. Yep. So we did that for our Cucktoberfest, but I think we could go back and someday do a whole episode about it. I think it. so too. So that'll probably be coming to your ear holes at some point over the next couple of years. So there is definitely something going on in, in this water. area. In there's, the clear water. Yeah, there's something in the clear water. In October 2001, Lisa gave birth to twin girls, Katrina Whoa. and Alyssa. And they had decided that they wanted more children. And she was at this point getting older. And she knew that she needed to get serious about figuring out when she was going to go to space. So she's like, let's pop them out or pop one out. And then they had twins. The following year... Rich was called to active duty Navy after September 11th and deployed to Afghanistan. Oh, no. So this placed Lisa under tremendous stress. She's now pushing 40. She is still trying to accomplish her dream of going to space, but she's getting older, which doesn't make her necessarily a better candidate. A better yeah. candidate. She's in a highly competitive field. And now she has three kids, including twin infants, to raise on her own. Yeah, no. This is a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. I also read that they trained too many astronauts, that they had this program that was great. Like, it was great that 44 people got into it. And, of course, some people were weeded out. Yeah. But they did not have enough space missions. So they have all of these highly skilled people that are just as motivated and high achieving as Lisa fighting for these very few spots. Yeah, it's not cool. It's a rough atmosphere to be in. 
Well, luckily for Lisa, all of her hard work seemed to pay off. When NASA announced three space station missions scheduled for launch in 2003 and throughout early 2004, Lisa was scheduled to be on the Columbia shuttle in November of 2003. Wow. So Rich was going to come home and she was going to go to space. And these missions were to bring supplies and I think that they had to do some construction on the International Space Station. So they're essentially like bringing tools and parts and supplies and food and everything to the International Space Station. Intergalactical Space Station, would you say? (laughs) Yes, I would say it's intergalactic. That makes me want to listen to the Beastie Boys song now. (laughs) Which actually I think came out around this time too. (laughs) While Rich did return home, stress still plagued their union as Lisa was needed at very mission-specific training now. Now that it's been announced that she's going on this mission, there's a lot of conditioning that she has to go through. Yeah. So she was actually away from her home for about 70, 80 hours a week. How many hours does that make you being at home? Very rarely. I don't think she was sleeping very much. Obviously now Rich is kind of taking over the child care responsibilities. Well, tragedy intensified Lisa's preparations for flight when her friends aboard the Columbia shuttle that went up in an earlier mission because they were doing three were killed when the spacecraft overheated and exploded upon re-entering Earth's atmosphere. Oh, my God. So it went through and then... It was coming back And is that just faulty, like... They found out what it was. And so they could essentially fix the next one, the next space shuttle, or make sure that didn't happen to it. Yeah. But this hit very close to home for several reasons. Members of Lisa's astronaut class were on board. Of course, yeah. She had personally wanted to get in on this mission. So she had been an alternate. So she was very close to passing away on this ship. This was the very same shuttle that she was supposed to be on for her mission later. And she was also watching this with her son, Alexander, who was only 10 years old at the time when they watched it explode together. And her best friend, Laurel, had been aboard the shuttle as well. So they had been talking about, you know, like Aunt Laurel's on the ship. And apparently when this happened and they're watching it, they were just holding hands, Lisa and Alexander, and saying nothing. And apparently afterwards, she turned off the TV and he looked at her and he was like, Mom, I still want you to go. I know they'll make it safe again. And I still want you to go. Really? Yeah. Because he knew the intensity of his mother's dream, which is really heavy for a 10-year-old kid. Yeah, no. I'd be like, absolutely not. (laughs) You're not fucking going. I could see you doing that at 10 years old. (laughs) Is it worth it? Really? Especially like on that same shuttle, on that same like maybe wait like a few years. Well, that's what they had to do, of course. So Lisa was the type of person who had to channel her grief and anxiety into acts of service. So she ended up spending every spare second she had, which she didn't have that many of them anyway, dedicated to Laurel's family. So she was, she had been married with a young son, Laurel, and she was like helping them cope. She was also helping them deal with their finances and tracking down Navy and insurance benefits and making sure that they were properly compensated. So she's spending a lot of time with them. She's neglecting her own needs. She's neglecting the needs of her family. She's definitely neglecting the needs of her marriage. Now, we don't know exactly the ins and outs of Rich and Lisa's 
marriage and what kind of caused it to fall apart. But even in telling the story, you can tell that they're not getting to spend a lot of time as a team. No. It looks like they're just kind of volleying the kids back and forth. And they both have dangerous, demanding, very intense careers. So it kind of makes sense that some distance was growing between these two. On the outside, Lisa did appear to be handling everything with incredible grit and determination, fortitude and strength. But it would later appear that Lisa was compartmentalizing to her own detriment. Okay. She refused to let anything derail her chance to get to space when she was so close to the opportunity. And they said that a lot of astronauts handle crises like that. Okay. Because if something goes wrong in space, you don't have any time to feel feelings or process things. You put it aside and you do whatever it takes to survive with the least amount of casualties. So instead of seeking therapy or turning to her husband for support, Lisa began to rely on a coworker, another astronaut named Commander William Offline. Billy O, as he was called by everyone at NASA, was a dynamic and popular officer from Alaska who was also married and had two children around the same age as Lisa's kids. Before the January 2003 explosion of the Columbia, Bill was set to become the very first Alaskan in space. Wow. Now the plans for the launch, as well as Lisa's launch, were indefinitely put on hold while the public and government and scientists weighed in on the benefit of the risk ratio of the space program in general. Now that they've had another big loss, they're like, was this worth it? Is what we're doing up there worth it? They had even less shuttles available for astronauts desperate to go to space, a national discourse on safety, and Lisa and Bill were both feeling the frustrations of being so close to their accomplishments, especially for her being a woman and for him being the first Alaskan in space. They just both had a lot to prove. In January of 2004, Lisa and Bill ended up on a 11-day cold-weather survival training expedition in Canada, which they also have to go through with full packs on. They're basically dropped off like by helicopter in the middle of the wilderness in freezing cold Canada. And they're like, you have to travel 10 miles or something to get to the pickup spot with everything you have on your back. Um, (laughs) Isn't that insane? Yeah. No, thank you. No. No, thank you. Yeah. I don't think. But I'm glad that the astronauts have to do that because they're like, (laughs) <laughs> they need to. They need but, to like, be able to do that, yeah, in order to survive. Yeah, this was not ever an aspiration of mine. No. All that huddling for warmth must have done something to Lisa and Billy O. The married coworkers had started the expedition as colleagues and confidants. But by the time they got back to Houston, they were having a full-blown, hot and heavy sexual affair. How? With all of that suiting in the fucking freezing wilderness? I don't know. You have to, like... Pop a tent, pop something else. Pop a couple tents. Get those sleeping bags that zip together, huddle together. Friction. (laughs) Sound effects. Well, several months after the affair began, Michaela, Bill's wife, discovered some steamy emails to and from Lisa and confronted her husband. Unfortunately for Michaela, Bill was a lot like Lisa, I think, in this way that he wasn't extremely emotional. Okay. And I think, again, that's was something that they looked for in astronauts. And so he only apologized that she saw them and that he was sorry she had to read them. 
he did not apologize for the affair or talk about any sort of no he was like oh i thought i deleted those i'm very sorry you had to see that that was the response to they'd been married for i think close to 20 years wow they had married pretty young and so she was just like are you kidding me and she's like okay i'm done i'm done here which good for her Michaela filed for divorce in the early 2000s, just as it was announced that Bill would be the mission pilot on a 2006 space launch. Okay. So Bill was not hurting after this divorce. He was really into Lisa. He just found out he's definitely going to space. He moved into a new apartment and he even gave Lisa a key. Everyone in his apartment complex believed that the two astronauts were in a solid, high-achieving, monogamous couple because she was there so often. Little did they know that Lisa had a husband and three children waiting for her at home in nearby Clear Lake. Yeah, waiting days apparently for her at home. Yeah, I don't know what those excuses were. I guess I'm at a training thing. I'm doing this. I've been dropped in the middle of Canada. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be back sometime in the foreseeable future. Well, the only hitch in this get-along was that Bill really, really, really wanted Lisa to leave Rich and to be with him on the up and up. But Lisa continued to refuse. We don't know exactly why. It might have been the fact that she was Catholic. She and her family did go to church every Sunday. Maybe she also thought that it would be a distraction from her career. Maybe she thought that the kids couldn't take it. Maybe she thought that it would look badly upon her and she wouldn't get to go to space. We really don't know why she refused to divorce Rich at this point. And I think, at, I mean, Rich has to be suffering. Yeah, totally. He had to have been suffering before she was having the affair. That's yeah. not a partnership. This is definitely not a partnership. And yeah. I do really feel badly for him. Diane Fanning didn't interview him, so I don't have anything from his perspective. But I imagine this is a very lonely time yeah. for him. Getting divorced was probably the last thing on Lisa's mind in July of 2006 because... She finally accomplished her dream of going into space on Independence (sighs) Day. Wow. Lisa boarded the 4.5 million pound Discovery shuttle. Wow. That's weight, not money. (laughs) With six other astronauts and was launched into space successfully. Lisa's job on board was to operate the robotic arms of the shuttle and at the International Space Station, which she did with the other robo-chick, which is what they called them, Stephanie Wilson. Robo-chick. They called them the robo-chicks. I know these women who are literally rocket scientists, and they're calling them (laughs) robo-chicks. So Lisa and Stephanie used the robotic arms to deliver supplies to the space station, and they also used them to take close-up pictures of any issues with the shuttle or space center for engineers to review. Okay. Just to make sure things were not coming apart, what needed to be refurbished. Sadly, neither Lisa or Stephanie were able to do a spacewalk because budget restrictions were such that NASA only ordered spacewalking suits in men's medium and large. Unfucking believable. Yep. And when they did get the funds to get a third suit, they ordered a men's extra large. So unless a female astronaut was uncommonly tall, there was no way that... I'm so glad that I wasn't of an age during this era. I would have just exploded. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So unfortunately, they didn't get to do the spacewalk with... They went to fucking space and they didn't get to walk. Yeah. 
But I heard that seeing the Earth from space is really phenomenal. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's really, I mean, they did describe it very beautifully. But yeah, probably would be a little salt in the wound, I would say. But I think she was just so genuinely excited to be up there. But yeah, it's, it's horrible. I had to include that tidbit because... I love Diane Fanning writes this book very well, too. And she like made sure to keep that in, too. And when they did have the money, they got a men's extra large. <laughs> ah, c'est la vie. C'est la misogyny. <laughs> so the work that they were doing up here was definitely grueling, some of it. Obviously, everything's wild. But then there was like other stuff that they were doing where they were video conferencing with their friends and their families and with news organizations. And they also apparently had a special menu of Emerald Lagasse created space recipes. Stop. Bam. 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 His jambalaya green beans with garlic and mashed potatoes with bacon were huge hits. Were they made of space food? I don't know, like, if they were dehydrated or something. Do you remember what a big deal eating space food was? Yes. Yeah, it was so cool. I only really remember the, the metallic, ice cream. like, foil. Yes. Yeah. The so ice cream. Cool. It was, like, the Neapolitan flavor. Yeah. And it was just, like, styrofoam. <laughs> yes. We were like, this is delicious. I could eat in space. <laughs> I love styrofoam ice cream. But as I got ahead of myself before, Andy, the real reward was viewing Earth from space. The pictures, I'm telling you guys, they wax poetic about it in this book. Is Apparently, the pictures really don't do it justice. So another question that this case is going to bring up, and we're not to the crime yet, was... We are? We are not yet to the crime. The crime has not occurred. Weird. <laughs> Just the crime against women in the, the space crime, program. Yes. Not allowing them to spacewalk. Is that, should there be co-ed crews sent to space, or like for how long? Like if you're at the space center and you're alone and it's the opposite sex and assuming you're both heterosexual, like, is this a good or bad thing? Like having romantic entanglements? Yeah. And... I mean, if they're teaching them to be, have no feelings, I don't think so. Well, basically what people said, at least women said, is that if you've worked your whole life for this, you're not going to throw it away to have some fling with some guy. But people are people. Yep. Humans are human. Humans gonna human. It's just gonna happen. But they have to get like strapped down to go to sleep, apparently. Like you have to have like a whole straight jacket. Yes, you're not like floating so around. So you don't float around. <laughs> so the intense part of this journey and the scary part was the re-entry into Earth's atmosphere. Duh. Which is exactly how the Columbia had exploded. But luckily for Lisa and her crew, this time everything went without a hitch and the astronauts came back safely. They were greeted by their families with a hero's welcome. They went to the White House. I mean, everything was huge about this. Lisa was particularly, though, excited to see her lover, Billy O, who was scheduled to pilot the very same shuttle Lisa had just stepped off of in less than five months. Whoa. Unfortunately, Bill wasn't as available as he had once been. His passion for Lisa had begun to cool as his own rigorous training ramped up and Lisa continued to be married. And Lisa also just came back from space, too. So I feel like... like she was busy doing her training. She was gone. Doing what he wanted to do as well. Exactly. She got to go first. Yeah. Lisa was having a very hard time adjusting to life back at home. She had pretty grueling media appearance schedule. Like I said, she was going on 
morning shows, tonight shows. She was meeting with newspapers. But as the fanfare died down, she had to accept some hard truths. Rich had been a single parent for all of her training and space mission and, of course, numerous romps with her lover. And he was fed up. So Lisa went from this hero and icon who had conquered space, one of the very small group of women who had ever gone, yep. to Rich basically saying, it's your turn. Like, yay, good for you. You need to come back and be a parent now. So she went from doing that to having like a harder home life. And she was just the mom now who had to do the laundry, help with homework, make sure your kids are fed and do the school run while dealing with a frustrated spouse. Yep. And was he working or was he still helping? I mean, he was helping, but I think he was also working. Yep. Also like kind of needed a little bit of a break. He did. He deserved it after all of this. Lisa also knew that the shuttle program was winding down. In all likelihood, she would not get another mission in space. It's kind of like how it is, though, too, isn't it? It is. Yeah. She should have been a little prepared for yeah. that. She was only 43 years old at this point, and she felt like kind of, well, what now? Yeah. Diane Fanning put the following quote from astronaut Buzz Aldrin's memoir at the beginning of the book. And I think... I like this quote, and I think obviously it's why Diane Fanning included it, because it kind of will help explain her mental state. So this is from Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. It soon emerged that my life was highly structured and that there had always existed a major goal of one sort or another. I had excelled academically, being at the top of the schools and classes I had attended during my life. Finally, there had been the most important goal of all and had been realized I had gone to the moon. What to do next? What possible goal could I add now? There simply wasn't one. And without a goal, I was like an inert ping pong ball being battered about by the whims and motivations of others. I was suffering from what poets have described as the melancholy of all things done. Yeah. So she's feeling very ordinary. Yeah. She's feeling like that crazy experience that she loved is behind her now. And she will never have that feeling again. So with her marriage heading towards separation and in a very unsure future with NASA, Lisa funneled her intense energy into an obsession with her lover. Yeah. Not good. Not a good one. No. Yeah. Just like get crazy on your Pinterest. Go do some art. DIY. Go join a mom's group. Yep. Exactly. Get involved in your kids' sports. Be the president of the PTA. Train some young other kids who want to be astronauts. Go teach them. Talk to them. Like there's so many other things. But I think it's the same types of depressions and finished feelings that women experience with things all the time. Like when you have a kid and you're done having kids or when you're- Oh my gosh. I am hashtag vasectomy feels right now. Or when you're menopausal and you're yep. not fertile anymore or like when your or kids when your leave children the house. Leave. Yes, exactly. I was going like, to say that. That's just a recurring feeling that women like struggle with and she's getting hit really hard with it, but also accompanied by there not being like any sort of mental health support that recognizes that at this time. Zero. And they also said that many astronauts rebuffed support that was offered. Really? They do a lot of psychological testing to make sure they have the temperament to go to space, yeah. obviously, because you cannot be up there with somebody who goes apeshit. Yeah. They actually do have trainings and plans for it. They will tape you up and they will sedate you. If you don't take the medicine orally, they have 
the right, the other astronauts to yeah, protocol. Yeah. yeah, shoot you up with something that makes you chill out. And if necessary, they will keep you asleep for the duration of the mission. <laughs> so they do offer support. And NASA has said that we offer counseling services absolutely free for everyone who's involved in this program. But they said that astronauts were very loath to take them up on that offer because they were afraid that if they admitted to anything. They would never let them go again. They would never let yep. them go to space. It's such a catch-22. Exactly. Yeah. So even though technically the support was offered, no one was taking them up on it. And I also think we were talking about like a lot of like mom milestones, but there's also like something I can't really even imagine because I'm hoping that our greatest hits are ahead of us, Andy, is I'm sure a lot of high-achieving people who achieve something like I don't know, an Olympic gold medal or something, like have the same feeling of you spend literally every waking moment of every part of your life since you were a child working towards something. Yeah, and then you're 18 and you win it. <laughs> yeah, if you're like a gymnast or an ice skater or something. And then it's like you're over by what, like 25? With all of these health issues and no career path and like your training during when you could have gone to college. Yeah. It's so insane. There's just a lot going on here. Her emotional and mental state worsened when she was considered and rejected from joining the crew on Bill's mission. Apparently, there had been a vacancy. There was an illness. A woman that was supposed to go on that mission had become ill and was no longer suitable for the mission. So she found out that there was a space and that she was being considered for it. And they turned her down in favor of taking her fellow robo-chick, Stephanie Wilson. And they told her that they chose Stephanie because she was a better team player. That hurts a little. Yes, it does hurt a little bit. Everyone said that Lisa was very competent, but she was very strident. And she was the type of person who was exceptional at what she was trained in and refused to do anything she wasn't trained in. Hmm. Because she didn't want to not be exceptional at it? Well, later on, there's a psychiatrist who diagnoses her as having Asperger's, which is on the autism spectrum. And a lot of that can be characterized as a lot of her, if she does have Asperger's, I don't know, it was a psychiatrist diagnosed her, but like is an intense focus on things. Yep. Even from a child, when you're a child, which is definitely true of Lisa. And I almost wonder if it's not like she wasn't a team player or a refusal to do things. It just didn't rationally make sense to her. Yeah. Like, no, I should be doing the things that I am highly trained to do that NASA has put millions of dollars into my studying of robotics because I know how to do it the best. Yep. I don't know how to do X, Y, and Z, so you should find somebody else that's actually better suited for those things. Yeah, but it comes off as like not a team player. But it player. came off as, uh, no, I'm not trained to do that. Yep. And they're like, okay, well, we just asked you to take out the trash, but whatever. <laughs> Could you imagine? Hey, babe, can you change the baby's diaper? I'm not trained. I'm sorry, I'm not trained for that defecation removal service. You'll have to find someone highly qualified. <laughs> yeah, so this was not great news because, again, she was working towards coming to this acceptance about it not happening. And then there was a chance that it was going to happen. And then it was taken away from her. And then they were like, yeah, you're not a team player. She also would have been with Bill in space. She, she would have been up there with her lover. It was one more chance. Were they still, like, doing their so thing So they now? were still incommunicado. Okay. Yeah. So they were communicating, though he was kind of being more distant. Okay. So it looks like based on their phone records, like she was still calling him all the time. 
And he was like returning one out of three of those calls. Okay. And she still had a key to his place. They were still going to the gym together, doing stuff together. But it is unclear how romantic and how sexual the relationship was at this point. Having gone through the hardcore training leading up to the mission, she just assumed he was busy because like she knew what this was like. She had just done it. And so she was like, okay, well, we're not seeing each other as much because he's really freaking busy. So she didn't think that there was anything really going wrong, although it was kind of driving her crazy because now she has time and he doesn't have time for her. Does she have time though if she's taking care of three kids? I think Lisa would have made time. Okay. So yeah, she's under the impression he's just busy, but that wasn't really the case. Okay. Bill had met someone. Oh. Yeah. Wasn't Stephanie Wilson, was it? No. (laughs) Wow, that would be a real kick in the nuts. Yeah. (laughs) She gets the mission and the man. (laughs) In November of 2006, Bill had met 30-year-old, so 13 years younger than Lisa, Air Force Captain Colleen Shipman. Colleen was as brilliant and motivated as Bill and Lisa were. She was top of her class at Penn State, where she studied chemical engineering, and she eventually became a helicopter pilot for the Air Force, where she also managed defense support missile launches. (laughs) I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I, I took that. Defense support program missile launches at Cape Canaveral. So Cape Canaveral's in Florida. While Bill was in Florida, the two met at a NASA party and there was an immediate attraction. NASA. NASA. Yeah. So it's kind of like band camp, like the nerds getting wild. Oh, yeah. I don't think Bill was really looking for somebody else. Although I did hear, I think that somebody on the program I saw described him as a little bit of a ladies man, like charming and flirty. But in Diane Fanning's book, she doesn't say like, it seemed like he was necessarily going out looking for a girlfriend. I think that there was still an idea in the back of his head that maybe he was going to end up with Lisa. It just was very odd that she would not divorce Rich. Yeah. After a certain point, it's like, it's like, especially if you've like left your partner. Yeah. And he had been fully divorced at this point for a while now. Yeah, so they met at this party and apparently even though he lived in Houston and she lived in Florida, the sparks were there that they started immediately communicating and talking every single day. And it was just one of those situations where you immediately click in with somebody. Yeah. So the two began communicating and they were dating long distance throughout the month before it was Bill's turn to go to space in December. When Bill safely returned to Earth on December 22nd, he had... Two women eager to see him. Not his ex-wife. Not his ex-wife. Although I'm sure she was glad he came home. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They still have children together. So he wasn't seeing Colleen when she came home from her mission. It was just that I think he was already, because she came back in July and he didn't meet Colleen until November. I think that it was just him getting to a point of like, dude, you're never going to leave your husband. What's going on? Like things are miserable. I don't understand you. And then when he met Colleen, it was like all over. He was like immediately sprung on her. But he didn't tell Lisa about meeting Colleen. And when he came back from his mission on December 22nd, Colleen invited him to spend the holidays with her family. So, I mean, this is hot and heavy pretty fast. They only met in November. And she said, though, I'm not going to bring you home to my family if we're not in a monogamous relationship. Yeah. And he told her at that point that he had been romantically involved with another astronaut that he had mentioned to her because he had talked about 
his friend, Lisa. Okay. And he's like, actually, we kind of were involved. I think that we have more of a friendship, but it's over. I ended it. He had not yet ended it, or at least he had not told Lisa that it was over for him. But Colleen at that moment believed it was. Meanwhile, Rich and Lisa had finally officially separated. Okay. So she's (laughs) making the right moves. She's finally making the moves. She's probably taking a stock of her own situation and realizing, you know, he's home. He should be communicating with me again. And he's not really. And like, I have to make changes in my life. So they were officially separated in, in the January, the following January of 2007. So he's getting home December of 2006. Lisa and Rich are now officially separated. He moved out of the family home. And Lisa was very much planning to be with Bill. That was when he moved out, when Rich moved out, she was like, okay, this is it. We are going to figure out a way to live together. This is our future. In January, she wrote his mother a letter telling her how much she loved Bill and how she considered Bill's mother her mother. Which is so awkward because, of course, Bill's mother had to know that he was seriously seeing this other woman. Yeah. And now this is, of course, on Bill for being such a coward. Yeah, it's Weasley. It's very Weasley to not be very clear with her. I mean, from his perspective, I think he thought she just understood. This is such a guy thing. Yeah, like, like, hey, I don't like really call you back anymore. We haven't had sex in this amount of time. Like, it's clear that we're now moving towards the friendship, so we don't have to have a big talk about it, I think is what his perspective was. Which I think, like, so many guys do. And women, I'm sure, do too. But this is, like, pre-ghosting culture. Yeah. So this is, like, a different time. And these people are astronauts and adults. They're in their 40s. Like, Colleen's only 30, but we're talking about Lisa and Bill both being in their 40s. Yeah. You should be able to have an adult conversation. Yes. Yeah. So at some point in early to mid-January... Something came up. I think that Colleen saw that when she was at Bill's house, like if she went to type in her address or her email address, like Lisa's populated on his computer at home. Okay. And she was like, why is Lisa's name coming up? And he's like, oh, you know, she comes over every once in a while and like uses it. So she must have used it last. And she's like, dude, why is she still over here all the time? What is going on? Like, are you lying to me about not seeing her? Because again, they're long distance. So she doesn't know what he's up to most of the time. And he's like, she's like, did you actually talk to her? She really knows. It's the end. And he's like, yeah. And then that is when we know for sure that he said something to Lisa. Okay. So it must have happened after she wrote this letter to his mom. And maybe also his mom was like, hey, buddy. You gotta. <laughs> you gotta talk to yeah, Lisa. Yeah, I cut the cord here. Yeah. So he was very straight up with her when he did finally talk to her. He said explicitly that he had met and fallen in love with another woman. Okay. And he said, I really want to be exclusive with her. And he said that he had not anticipated much pushback because in his mind, Lisa wasn't a very emotional person. And he did not think that she was as interested as she really was. Okay. Because of the, I think it had been a year and a half, two years maybe of this affair. And he had been asking her for over a year to leave her husband and she hadn't. So he was like, I guess that she's not that into me. So he was like, I don't think it's going to be a big deal if I break up with her. and Like formally break up with her. Yes. And (laughs) finally. Yeah. And according to Bill, Lisa did seem disappointed when they had this conversation, but she seemed accepting of it. There wasn't a big scene. She didn't cry. She didn't like have a meltdown. She didn't beg him for another chance. She said, are you sure? He said, yes, I'm really happy. And she said, okay. 
well, then I'm happy for you. But it's really important that we remain friends because she didn't have much of a support system. Yeah. She didn't really get along with her family that well. I'm not sure exactly what the differences were, but it was even alluded to in the letter that like her parents haven't supported a lot of her choices. I don't know if it was like the divorce or other things or the space program. I don't know what it was, but it seems like at this point she wasn't talking as much with her family. Yeah. Her best friend Laurel had passed away. She didn't seem to have very many other friends. Yeah. And now her husband's left her, of course, and Bill was the closest person in the world to her. So she's like, just can we stay friends? And he's like, of course. And I guess that they were also training for this 150-mile charity bike ride that they were going to do together. And he's like, we'll still keep training and we'll go to all the, like, charity events. Like, they would, like, do a fundraiser at a brewery or something like that. Okay. And he's like, so we'll see each other there and we can still, like, work out in the gym together. But I'm with Colleen now. And she was like, cool. Happily, Bill told Colleen that he had shared the news with Lisa. He was like, yes, I told her. I told her I'm in love with you. I told her I want to be with you for the rest of my life. And Colleen thought that this was the end of it. But again, like I said, they're still going to the gym together. I guess that they were flying jets together because you have to keep your flight hours up to still be considered an astronaut. They're doing a lot of things together still, Lisa and Bill. And I think this is sending Lisa some mixed messages. Okay. So he said she was ex- he was explicit with her, but he's still hanging out with her all the time. Uh, with like normal people, I feel like they can get that. But I feel like most people need some sort of clean break when there's a romantic. I certainly do. And I know we're going to hear from a lot of you guys about maintaining good friendships after the romance or the sexual side of something has parted. I personally cannot do that. Yeah, I can, but it just depends on where you're at, like where I'm at emotionally with the person. Like if I'm over them, I can be friends with them, of course, but like that's not really fair to them. Yeah, there's no guarantee that they're feeling exactly the same way you are, even if they say it. Like Lisa is saying, I'm happy for you at this point. Yeah. And she was very much not feeling that way. (laughs) But from Bill's perspective, he thought, wow, yeah, she never wanted to end up with me anyway. So we are friends. I guess that's cool. And he had no idea, no idea that Lisa, who had always gone for what she wanted in life, embarked on a new mission. And this is one that was certainly not sanctioned by NASA. On the afternoon of January 23rd, when Lisa knew that Bill would be in a meeting, she used the key that he had given her and never asked back. Like, that's another thing. Get your damn key back. She snuck into his apartment. She went into Bill's email and downloaded every message sent to and from Colleen, read every thread they had ever been on. And she now knew that they had been very seriously talking since they met in November. And he hadn't told her about Colleen until a week or two earlier at this point. And it seems like he kind of made it sound like it was a recent development. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. (laughs) She also knew that the couple was planning a trip to Europe together. And there's a lot. I mean, they include the emails in the book. And it's just a lot about like wanting to rip each other's clothes off and like cutesy nicknames and very intimate details of their very passionate relationship. So she's reading all of this. She knows Colleen's this basically kind of younger version of her. Yeah. The high achieving, high ranking individual. And she also sees that Colleen is coming to see Bill in Houston 
So she sees like her flight itinerary that he booked for her because that's also in the email. So Lisa went home from pillaging him digitally. She requested three days leave. And then she downloaded MapQuest directions from the Johnson Space Center to the Orlando airport. Lisa printed out a schematic drawing of the airport itself, schedules of shuttle runs from the terminals to the parking lots, and handwritten directions. And she also wrote out directions to Colleen's apartment, how to get there from the Orlando airport. Okay. Altogether, later the police would find 67 pages of maps, MapQuest directions, and GPS coordinates. MapQuest did print out really annoyingly. (laughs) Do you remember? Yes, you'd get like 20 sheets. Yeah. And it would all be laid out weird in like one sentence on each page. Yeah. So she's not planning something good here. No. What the fuck is she planning? (laughs) Gets weird. Meanwhile, Bill and Colleen were in Houston enjoying a romantic weekend together. They did like All the stuff you do when you get to be with your long-distance lover. You stay in, you cook, you wine and dine, you have lots of sex. Go out, yeah. Yeah, you go out, you, like, make sure to hit up all the friend groups. Yeah. Because we're going to see Colleen when she's in town, you know, that sort of thing. And the only dark spot came when Colleen asked whose bike was in Bill's house. Apparently he had two bikes that were, like, leaned up against a wall next to each other. And one was purple and obviously a woman's bike. Oh, my God. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's Lisa's bike. (laughs) Oh, my God. Bill just sounds kind of clueless. He's like a cute Alaskan boy. (laughs) So he's just like, yeah, it's Lisa's bike because we're training for that race. And she's like, get this bitch's bike out of your house. Get it out. Out. And he's like, "Okay, I'm going to like put it outside. I'll call Lisa. It'll be gone by the time we get back. And it was. Lisa had come and got the bike that weekend. But many people look at this picking up of the bike, being told that she had to remove her bike from his house as maybe the breaking point. But she had already snuck into his house and yeah, downloaded all of his email and all of the information she could find out about Colleen. So I don't know if this bike situation was a breaking point, let's say. I think she broke before. I think she broke before as well. But I do think it did drive home that he was over her. Yeah. Yeah. He's very clearly choosing Colleen over her. Over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And Colleen felt like, oh, good. She definitely got the picture and he's choosing me the same. Like on the on the reverse, like Colleen's like, yes, okay, good. He's finally getting where I'm coming from. But unfortunately for Colleen, Lisa did not take this lying down. She was flying home and it was nearly 1.30 in the morning when Colleen ended up passing through the security gates that lead to the baggage claim. So she's going to pick up her bag. It is now Tuesday morning, February 6, 2007, like very early morning. She's in the Orlando International Airport, and she soon finds out that her luggage did not make it. She's like, oh, shit. So she waits and waits and waits. Then she's like, okay, my luggage isn't here. They look it up, and it looks like it's on the next flight, getting in at 3 in the morning. Okay. That's annoying. Very annoying. So at that point, they were going to offer her, they're like, look, you can stay and wait and we'll give you a food voucher or you can go home and we'll deliver it at this time between this big window. But she wasn't going to be home during that window. So she's like, I guess I just have to wait. She went up a floor to the Starbucks and she got a Danish and a hot chocolate. And after eating, she rested on bench, closing her eyes in exhaustion, trying to take like a little nap while she was waiting for her luggage to come. Colleen did not realize that throughout this entire thing, danger was stalking her. 
that a woman wearing a disguise was trailing close behind her, watching and waiting for the moment that she could attack her. And on the show, you can see the security footage they have of the airport and this shadowy character who we I think we all know who it is. Who is it? (laughs) Aimed astronaut Lisa Nowak following her around just like slightly behind her, like goes into the Starbucks right after her and gets a coffee and is just in the periphery the entire time she's in this airport. So creepy. It was just about 3.30 in the morning when Colleen boarded the shuttle to her lot. She at that point noticed a very strangely dressed woman wearing oversized sunglasses. And she remembers thinking that this woman was dressed very oddly. She was in like weird layers. She had these like almost 80s like big oversized sunglasses, curly dark hair, like a baseball cap, but also a trench coat with a hood. And she had like rolled up her jeans, like her jeans were cuffed oddly. And she just seemed very strange. And she remember thinking like, oh man, she could really use like a fashion consultant. Like this woman is like, that's an interesting get up. So she noticed her. So if Lisa was trying to do a disguise so people wouldn't notice her, it was kind of... Had the opposite effect. Yeah, it was bringing attention to her. Especially because at 3.30 in the morning, there's not like a lot of people on a shuttle. There's also not a lot of sunshine. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little odd to be wearing sunglasses at 3.30 in the morning. So she's like, okay, this woman's a little strange, but whatever. And so when she had given her like the parking lot number to the shuttle driver... And so obviously Lisa heard it and she got off first. So she got off ahead of Colleen. So Colleen didn't really think anything about this. Yeah. And she like puts the woman out of her mind. She's completely bone tired at this point too. And she begins like trudging towards her car because she realized that she had actually given the shuttle driver the wrong lot. And now she has to walk across an entire lot to get to the right one. She's like, oh, screw this. And as she's doing this, she heard the noise that all of us women fear, like when they're, we're walking alone late at night in the dark, which is the sounds of footsteps pounding the ground, getting louder yep. as somebody approaches you. Looking backwards, Colleen realized that it was the same woman from the shuttle who was now hot on her trail. So Colleen picked up her pace and cut through a row of cars But still, the woman was following her, like, down the same path. And she said at first she was trying to, like, not be paranoid. She's like, this is crazy. You're being paranoid. She's probably just heading to her car, and it's just a weird coincidence that it's near where your car is. But there was something inside of her that knew. Yeah. She was like, no matter how I'm trying to, like, downplay this so I'm not nervous, this is weird. Yeah. Especially when the woman started running towards her. So now Colleen is running too. And she's like, I just have to. Did she drop her bags? No, she had her bag in her hand. And she was really close to her car at that point when Lisa started running. So she ran to her car. She opened the back door, threw her bag in, and then immediately got in like one fluid motion. She unlocked the door, slid in, and locked it again. So basically it all happened very quickly. And she said that only seconds, like, maybe two seconds after she clicked the thing, the woman was on top of her and was outside. She was outside the car and she was banging on the window, banging. 
so scary. So scary. So she said this strange woman's face with this crazy curly hair and these sunglasses is like banging on my window and she starts the ignition. And apparently the description like everyone keeps using is that she was dressed like a low budget spy from like a bad noir movie. So this is terrifying if this disguise wasn't so ludicrous. Yeah. But it's scary. So she's banging and she's saying, can you help me? My boyfriend was supposed to pick me up and he's not here. No. No. She said, I've been traveling. It's late. I don't have a ride. Can you give me a ride to the parking office? No. So Colleen's a smart girl. She felt sympathy, of course, for the woman, but she's not an idiot. So she was like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm sorry for you. But what I'll do is when I leave, I'll send somebody back to come pick you up. I will make sure that somebody from the parking office comes back to this lot if you want to just stay where you are. She's getting ready to like back out. She's like, I got to get out of here. And this woman is still banging on the window and she's crying now. She's just full on tears crying. And she's like, please, at least let me use your cell phone. And Colleen lied. And she's like, I'm sorry, my battery's dead. I can't help you. And the woman is like begging now. She's like, please, just I can't hear you. What are you saying? Just roll down your window because I can't hear you. Unbelievable. Yeah, she's going for it. And Colleen at this point was like, okay, well, like, I'll roll down my window just a little bit so she can hear me say no. But she didn't realize like or she didn't think at the moment that she has one of those car window roller downers. I don't know what the word is, but they automatically roll all the way down. (gasps) When you hit the button. Oh, no. Yep. So she had meant to just do it a crack so she could say, absolutely not, I'm leaving. That's why don't do it. I know. Don't do it. So she is now panicking. So she does it and the window's just going down and she's immediately like going to hit it. Like smash, 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 smash the button to get it to go back up. And in that moment, while she's doing this, all of a sudden she feels this burning sensation spread across her face to the point where she gets this like blast in the face and she can't see anything and everything is burning and she's on fire. (gasps) And she said, you bitch, because she realized that this strange woman had pepper sprayed her. So her face is on fire. And despite the burning and the swelling agony, luckily she is also trained Air Force military. She's able to like completely go into mission mode of getting the hell out of this situation. So she manages during all of this whole exchange to get her window up, slam the car in reverse and start for the exit. Meanwhile, the woman that's attacking her, who she has no idea who this woman is, is like screaming and following the car and throwing her bag at the car, trying to get the car to stop. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I don't think so either. It's you can't just throw a bag at a car. No, this is a very poorly thought out plan, whatever this plan was. So once clear of her, I guess that Colleen said that the smell in the car was so intensely horrific. I'm sure. From the pepper spray that she was like, could not even breathe. So she had to roll the window back down when she was clear of her and like just gasp in the fresh air. She said that her nose, throat, and sinuses were all completely on fire. She felt like she couldn't breathe. She had gotten it directly into the face. So she managed to get to the toll booth, and the toll booth attendant called the police. And Colleen said that she was weeping in pain and shock as the chemicals were stinging her face. Her nose is just running with rivers of snot. 
the woman at the toll booth was trying to give her There's a woman. Yep, was trying to like wet so scary paper towels to try. She was like, "Don't wipe; it'll make it worse." Like just like pat your face. But the police arrived in minutes. They were there right away. Yeah, the airport. I feel like. Yep, they were right there at the moment, and they immediately set out to find the dark-haired woman with a trench coat that <laughs> Colleen had described. So they eventually located a lone woman with lighter hair. She had like very light brown hair and a black coat. So this doesn't quite fit her description, but she was traveling by herself and she was acting really squirrely. So they're kind of watching her for a second and she was trying to like covertly throw away some items in the trash, but being really odd about it. So the police approached her and she was getting even weirder about her bag. She kept trying to reach for it or like put it behind her. Or like You mean the bag that she was throwing at the car? Yes, the duffel bag that she had been throwing at the car. And so like, ma'am, we're going to need you to sit down on this bench here and we're going to need to look through your bag. And she was kind of fighting them on it a little bit. And they're like, okay, yeah, we're going to cuff you now. We're going to look through your bag. And the first thing that they saw was the trench coat. So they're like, okay, we've got our girl. This is her. She's like, if I just do a quick... A wardrobe change. change. I'll be in disguise and they won't be able to catch Well, the me. interesting thing is that even though they were there that fast, she had time to get away. She had time to just peace out and she did not. And while they were like, yes, we have the trench coat, what they found in the rest of the bag is downright terrifying because it would point to some very bad intentions that this woman had for Colleen. They found a two-pound drilling hammer, um, a black buck knife, a very large hunting-style buck knife, several feet of rubber tubing, a BB gun, a computer memory stick, and a floppy disk. Later on, the police would access the contents of the disk and find drawings and photos of a woman in bondage. Well, she was going to, like, put it in the computer so she knew how to do it when she well, got there? Well, that's what they think. First of all, they have no idea who this woman was. They've never found out who the woman in the pictures was. It wasn't Lisa, and it wasn't anyone. Oh, dr- it was a real person. It, it was a real woman. Oh, I thought you meant it was, like, a drawing. There were some drawings, but there was a real woman in these photographs tied up. So we don't know where she found the stuff. Later on, her attorney says, like, you don't even know that it was hers. It could have just ended up at her house or in her bag somehow. Totally. That always <laughs> happens to me. I always end up with a floppy disk with the woman in bondage. But they, photograph. without any other evidence that she was into bondage, they believed that it was her trying to figure out how to tie Colleen up. How about you learn before you go so you don't have like a DIY floppy disk with you? It's also like, what are you going to do? You have a victim and you're like, hold on a second. Hold on just a second while I plug this in and we boot up my desktop or your desktop. In the garbage where she had been trying to covertly throw away things. Totally. They found a bag with the black curly wig that Colleen had described and another BB gun that had been loaded with CO2 bullets. So I really don't know what this plan was. No. But the items... Clearly unhinged. The items that are in this duffel bag are sinister. Yeah. The biggest surprise to the police, though, was who the perpetrator was. The deranged woman was, of course, Lisa Nowak, a decorated member of the U.S. Navy and an elite astronaut. When the police searched Lisa's car, they discovered the items that would go on to launch a thousand jokes and headlines, the items that will haunt Lisa Nowak until her dying day, 
two used adult NASA-approved space diapers. According to the arresting officer, Lisa had told him that she wore the diapers so she did not have to stop on her long journey from Houston to Orlando to urinate. For timing purposes? Yeah, for for timing purposes. So she could make it in the three days of leave she had and make sure that she got to... It doesn't take that long to stop at a rest stop and pee. (laughs) Or even like, man, pull on a shoulder and pop a squat. I've peed in like a cup before. (laughs) Like it's really efficient and you don't have to sit in your own urine for hours. So she had to change the diapers at some point too. Yes. So like... Yep. And also, you don't toss them away. You just keep them in your car, the used adult diapers. So this is the detail that made this an insane case. And guys, I'm not joking. The Reels show her episode is called Diaper Astronaut. (laughs) It's like it's so sad. not pepper spray astronaut. No. Not BB gun astronaut. Not pioneer of women in space, Lisa Nowak. Not floppy disk BDSM astronaut. No, diaper astronaut is the name of the episode. And in the, the show, they have reenactments. They literally show a woman stepping into adult diapers. So you have to pull over for that. She could put one on when she left. Are you rationalizing this? No. <laughs> I'm not rationalizing this. I'm saying I think what happened was that there was one hotel she stopped at and she slept in for three hours. So my feeling is that she put on one diaper the whole way to get to the midway spot, slept for three hours, then so put then on the took second the diaper, diaper off in the car before going into the hotel and then left it there. I guess so. I mean, I don't, I don't understand it either. Now, later, her attorney is going to try to say that these were not her diapers. She had toddlers, and they were just large toddler diapers. You said they were NASA. Yes. Apparently, guys, I did not know this was a thing, but according to Diane Fanning's book, the National Space Biomedical Research Institute describes the disposable garment Lisa used with high praise. It is the finest and most absorbent diaper ever made. All astronauts wear these diapers. They added that an astronaut's body responded to the head down, legs up position of launch by attempting to eliminate what it detects as a flood of fluid in the chest, which always resulted in more urine production than usual. So these were space diapers. They're meant to be used (laughs) for takeoff. Yes. I think they were trying to change the narrative at that point, but the narrative had already far run away with (laughs) the diaper aspect of the story. But to bring it back to more serious matters, we're going to talk about what else they found in the car. I mean, I think the diapers are pretty serious. (laughs) Aren't you glad I told you this when we were together? I think the diapers are pretty serious. In the car, they also found six pairs of latex gloves, CO2 cartridges for the BB gun, discarded packaging for the knife and pepper spray, a love letter that Lisa had written Billy O. When? I don't know if it was dated, but it was professing her undying love for him. And all of the creepy paperwork that she had printed out in order to make her diabolical plan. So this is where they found all 67 pages of maps and plans, schematics of the airport. Yeah. The shuttle schedule and most chillingly directions to Colleen's house with her GPS coordinates. Colleen said that her street was new and it wasn't even on MapQuest and somehow 
Lisa had found out. She's an engineer. Yeah, where to go. What was she planning on doing? Was she going to try to take Colleen's car, take her in her car, go to her house, and then do something to her there? I don't know. Why don't we ask her? (laughs) We should ask her. Well, the police believed, based on this trove of evidence, that Lisa intended to murder Colleen Shipman, her romantic rival, and they charged her with attempted first-degree murder, attempted kidnapping, and a slew of other lesser charges. Yeah, because it's way premeditated. Very premeditated. Her mugshot looks like a very sad, very disheveled Derek Zoolander. (laughs) We'll definitely put this one on the Instagram for you. Derelict. She is very derelict, yes. So you said, well, why didn't they ask her? They did. They just didn't believe her. Lisa told the investigators that she never intended to cause Colleen bodily harm. Mm, you did, though. You immediately lied. Yes. her face. So that will count as bodily harm in my book. Yeah. Lisa said that she had just wanted to scare Colleen into talking to her. Doesn't work like that. She said that she wanted to have a heart-to-heart with her romantic rival and maybe convince Colleen to leave Bill alone. What? I wanted to terrify her so she would have a conversation with me. The investigator literally said, uh, you pepper sprayed her. And Lisa said, I was just trying to get her attention. Um. (laughs) Because I think that even crazier than the diapers is that this is a brilliant woman. Yes. Brilliant. And she had, I Googled it, 14 hours more because she's spent three hours at this hotel in the midpoint. So 17 total hours of life to think about what she was going to do and what her plan was. Wait a second. If that trip was only 17 hours, she had three days off. Well, she had to get back. Okay. So she only had like really six hours to kill once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're thinking that the diapers weren't necessary. Again. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she had to do whatever she was going to do to Colleen and then get back. But we don't know what she's going to do. We've never found out. But yeah, again, it just kills me that this is what her brain did to decide that this was going to work. I don't even know what she was planning, but this was whatever it was. I think this was the worst plan. (laughs) I don't understand where this was coming from. Like this was the best and brightest of Nassau could come up with this attack plan. Well, this momentary bad decision if it was a momentary Well, it was actually decision. 17 hours of a bad decision. And she had very earlier planned out this. So this momentously bad decision that we will not call momentary caused the incredible life and respect that Lisa had built to come crashing down. Yeah, obviously. Wiped away one event. Just everything she had built for all of her life. Just gone like a sandcastle in the That's what happens when you do stuff like this. Seven months earlier, she was landing back on Earth a hero and role model, and now she was the first active duty astronaut to ever be charged with a felony. But you're right. That's what you get. That's what you deserve. The fallout was extraordinary. She was allowed to return to Houston, but she had to wear an ankle monitor to make sure she was nowhere near Colleen or Billy. She couldn't go, like, west of somewhere she had to be yeah. for work. Which, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Her house was just swamped with TV reporters. And the coverage of what happened was constant. I mean, there was no privacy whatsoever. People in her neighborhood were getting really frustrated. She couldn't leave the house. 
the newspaper headlines screamed things like, here's a couple of the titles, Lust in Space, Astronauts Gone Wild. They called her the Astronaut. Jay Leno and David Letterman made jokes about her on late night TV. She went from being revered to ridiculed real fast. So Lisa's attorneys initially looked at a temporary insanity defense. Two Houston psychiatrists diagnosed Lisa with OCD and Asperger's syndrome, which we touched on a little bit earlier. Furthermore, they believed that she had suffered a brief psychiatric episode. Yeah, I was going to say OCD and Asperger's doesn't make you want to go murder someone. No, Like, no. at all. They think that it was an ongoing psychiatric episode that had resulted in insomnia, severe weight loss, and highly irrational behavior. This was just a mental break around everything that we discussed as this was occurring. Yeah. The psychiatrist cited issues with family. She had been recently separated, of course. She had no friends, and she was unable to confide in her parents or siblings. And then when she lost the one man who was both her best friend and her lover, she broke. It was just then we're not in reality anymore. In the end, all of the more serious charges ended up getting dropped, and Lisa pled guilty to battery as well as one count of burglary. So on the show, the judge who actually sentenced her explained that it's called burglary of a conveyance, and that's when you put your hand through somebody else's window. She was only given one year of probation and two days of jail time that had already been served when she was in the Orlando jail. I mean, nothing. So the judge got a lot of flack for this. Ah, uh... And he's on the show defending himself in, in his defense. She had a spotless record. She had spent her life in service to the United States and she had never done anything wrong. He's like, I didn't give her a break because she's famous or a woman or an astronaut or anything. I just did what any other person in my court who had never done anything wrong and had no sort of criminal record and felt badly. I would have given them that sentence anyway. She was miserable in court too. She was just fully broken, crying, sobbing, definitely knew that her life was over as she knew it. It's attempted murder. Well, they had dropped the charges. Basically, they didn't think that they could prove that it was attempted murder. Do you think they could have proved it? I mean, it was premeditated with weapons. It was premeditated. I think it was probably helpful that she didn't have... She drove 17 hours straight to her victim. like. Do you think it's because they couldn't figure out what the hell she was planning? I just feel like if you're driving, you have someone's addresses in your car, you're driving with that much determination and you have that many weapons that could easily kill someone. I don't understand how you couldn't. I guess the police were very disappointed because they were the ones who decided to charge her with attempted murder yeah. and attempted kidnapping. And then it was the court that decided that they couldn't prove that charges and they weren't appropriate. And so they had dropped those charges and then they worked out a deal with Lisa. Unsurprisingly, Lisa was fired by NASA. That happened pretty early on. And she later was less than honorably discharged by the U.S. Navy. Billy O. did not get out of this scot-free either, which I don't necessarily feel that bad about. The only person to feel bad for in this case is Colleen. Yes. She is the only victim of this because I think that if he had communicated properly and was more sensitive to people's feelings, 
I mean, it's not his responsibility. He's not the one who did it. But I think it definitely contributed to the situation. <laughs> he could have avoided a lot of this strife. Yeah. I mean, she still had a key to his place, for goodness sake. Yeah. It is kind of a classic scenario, though. A guy cheats or otherwise creates some sort of drama. And then he tells his friends or posts online, why am I always attracted to crazy drama queens? <laughs> Women are crazy. It's like, you're making us crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Bill was also kicked out of the space program. Because it was too much of a distraction. Yeah. So that dalliance cost him another trip to space if he had one on the docket, which I don't know if he did. He might have always been going to be just one time, but he was kicked out. And of course, now this is part of his legacy, not being the first Alaskan in space. He's just a part of the diaper astronaut story forever. You forgot about the real victims of the story. Yes, we're getting to that. We're getting to Colleen. Oh, I was saying the diapers. Oh, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't think people did this back in the day, but Pampers could have done a real, like, viral campaign about 100%. this. 100%. Yes. So leak-proof that you can drive 17 miles to your... <laughs> I know. This is only funny because Colleen survived. Of thank course. goodness. Yeah. But that's why I wanted to do one that was a little more lighthearted with you so we could enjoy it together. He was also nearly court-martialed for behavior unbecoming of an officer because they found out that they were both adulterers, which is a no-no in the military. I mean, it's a no-no for life. It should be a no-no for life, yes. Well, Colleen did not suffer career-wise. Like, obviously, she had no part of this at all. And so while they were facing these repercussions yeah. with the Navy and with the space program, Colleen was fine, but she really did suffer psychologically. I'm sure. I mean, this is a horrifying event. It's an attack. Yeah, she said that she still carries a lot of trauma, which was compounded by the fact that the space agency tried to get her basically to drop the charges to get rid of the bad PR. So they were putting pressure on her through the Air Force to just like make it go away. But Colleen was really in a situation where she was very frustrated because scared. she was scared. She was frustrated. She felt like her commanding officers were encouraging her to do this, but she didn't even have a choice in it. It wasn't up to her. The prosecutor had decided to go forward with at least making some sort of deal with Lisa. She was going to get prosecuted for this. It wasn't something that Colleen could decide at that point, like, okay, let her go off scot-free. And she didn't really want to anyway, but she was now getting coerced kind of into like helping smooth things over yeah and then after everything that happened and going through all of this she's like well if I have to go through with this then at least it would be nice to see her pay her debt to society and then she got a slap on the wrist so this was a very difficult time for Colleen and, and it still is according to a People Magazine interview with Colleen from March 2016 by Jeff Truesdell though there is a silver lining to this dreadful story. Colleen and Bill left the military in 2008, and they got married in 2010. Apparently, it was... The juice was worth the squeeze, I guess, because they are still happily married to this day. Great. I mean, I would hope that if you're going to get... Pepper-faced? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the love of your life and not just some guy. Seriously. Oh, my God. Could you imagine, like, any fight you get into for the rest of your life? It's like, and your psycho ex paper sprayed me in the face. It's like, oh, she wins the argument. It would be like the trump card. You just, like, drop it, and you're like, okay, this argument's over. You win. I'll do the dishes tonight. 
And for the rest of life. For the rest of life. Oh, my goodness. They had a son in 2012, and they live a quiet life in southern Alaska, Bill's home state. Colleen became a novelist. She actually said it was because she had to do a lot of journaling for therapy after the attack. And that's what got her into writing. And that's when she realized it was her passion and how talented she was. Together, she and Bill started a website called Adventure Write, which helps get children excited about writing. Colleen's first novel under the pen name C.M. McCoy was a paranormal romance that takes off with a monster emerging in the dark, tapping into childhood fears that were reinforced by what Lisa did to Colleen. So I think she was kind of like working through it with writing this. She still has anxiety, but when asked if she forgave Lisa, Colleen told People Magazine, quote, she committed a crime. She was convicted. She finished her sentence. I'm not sure there's anything really for me to forgive. That's a good sidestep. It was like what Dr. Canty said when we interviewed her a while back. We asked her if she forgave or how important forgiveness is to healing. And she's like, no, I don't. And you don't have to either. Yeah. So, Colleen, you don't have to forgive anything. No, just work through whatever you need to work through on your own. Exactly. Well, as of 2018, when The Scandal Made Me Famous show aired, Lisa was living a quiet life somewhere in Texas working in the private sector. So she's, I guess, probably being a mom or a grandmother and living out her days doing something else. Yep. Wow. Maybe changing diapers. (laughs) Maybe changing somebody else's diapers. All jokes aside, I mean, it really is a tragic fall from grace story it's terrifying it is i really do like how diane fanning closed her book out there because she's a great writer and she's on the show too she actually is like one of the talking heads but i really liked what she said this is how she ended the whole book she said nearly every woman i have ever known has done something incredibly stupid for a man men can't deny being incredibly stupid in love either love and irrational behavior go hand in hand Lisa simply took it to a new dimension. Perhaps history will be as kind to Lisa Nowak as they were to Madame Mary Curie. She was nearly run out of Paris when she was engaged in an affair with a man who was one of her husband's assistants and a father of four. Today, we remember her for her many accomplishments, her willingness to take risks in the pursuit of knowledge and her brilliant mind. And perhaps after reading this book, you will be kinder to yourself and to those around you. Seek help if you need it. If you feel like your life is beginning to spin out of control, counsel others to do the same. Value your friends and family. Value yourself. And never take mental health for granted. It can be even more fragile than physical health and requires twice the care. Great ending. She also dedicated the book to, quote, everyone who has ever done anything stupid in the name of love. Oh, my God. Obsessed. (laughs) Here, here. This is a perfect love murder. Yep. It's a love, not murder. It's a love scary stalker crime. (laughs) Yes, this is a whole different category. And also, I'm very excited to report that we have not one, but two Wikipedia fun facts. Wikipedia fun fact. (laughs) Wikipedia fun fact. Ooh, the redux. Because we have two. That's true. You're right. Very good. (laughs) Okay, the first one is that Mark Kelly, junior U.S. state senator for Arizona, was not only the pilot on the mission that Lisa took to space, her one and only mission. He was also at the Naval Academy with her. As someone who had known her for over 16 years at the time of the attack, 
he was interviewed and described Lisa as introverted, capable, but again, not really a team player. He's also married to Gabby Giffords, the congresswoman who survived an assassination attempt when she was shot in the face. Oh. Yeah. So this man has a very full and interesting life. Yeah. Second one is that a movie based on these events was made with some real big players. Not your average Lifetime movie here, friends. Lucy in the Sky came out in 2019 with Natalie Portman in the Lisa role. Wait, I remember this. And John Hamm portraying yeah. the Billy O character. They weren't named their names in the movie. Okay, but they I were... saw that. Did you see it? Yeah. Well, it sounds like you might have been one of the very few people that did, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> because it looks like it was a huge flop. They spent $214 million making this movie, and the box office only made $325,000. What year did it come out? Oh, wait, not 214. Sorry. It was $21.4 million. Okay. Okay, $21.4 million, and the box office only made $325,000. According to Wikipedia, the film drew criticism for, quote, failing to include the more salacious elements of Noack's real-life case in particular, her use of adult diapers. Yeah, I don't remember it at all. Yeah, they didn't put it in. Natalie Portman was like, hell no. <laughs> Look. I just did black I- swan. <laughs> I'm not wearing adult diapers. <laughs> As is her right. But people just wanted to see the movie for the adult diapers. Yeah, like I, I want to see her drinking Mountain Dew and like wearing the diaper. <laughs> in conclusion, man... I think we've said this before and we'll definitely say it again. No man is worth this trouble. No woman either, for that record, or no anyone. (laughs) No anyone. No anyone is worth this trouble. I feel like obviously going to space is like a very high achieving thing and you have to be very, very smart to do it. But you also have to be smart about everything else in your life too, like your mental health. Yes. And who you surround yourself with and checking in on yourself. So just because you can go to space doesn't mean... You can do everything. No. Nope. And it also shows us that we should not compare ourselves to anyone else in the world. Even high-achieving people do not always have their shit together. So if somebody's, like, getting on your nerves on that Instagram and you're comparing yourself to them, there's got to be some part of their life that they're dropping the ball on and they're just not showing you. They might be wearing adult diapers. It's very possible that at this moment, somebody that you admire is wearing an adult diaper. And that's fine. And that's fine. And as always, trust your gut when it comes to love. So, Andy, no one ruins their entire career because they are found on a cross-country trip to attack their romantic rival while wearing space diapers. Do you think she was wearing it during the attack? No. Okay, so she changed. Don't let space diapers be your legacy. Love you guys. Bye. 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 